Hey friends, if you wish you weren't hearing an ad right now, then straight after you listen to this episode, head over to curiositystream.com slash not overthinking. For less than $15 a year, you get access to thousands of high quality documentaries on CuriosityStream, and you'll also get a special link to our podcast feed with all of the ads taken out. My name is Ali, I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor, I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Hello, and welcome back to Not Overthinking, a proper episode this time. Taymor, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I'm actually pretty sleep deprived. I haven't had too much sleep for the past few days. Why not? Um, random things coming up late at night when I plan to go to bed and then me having to deal with them and then having engagements in the morning that I have to go to. What kind stuff. of random things coming up? Like a code, piece of code breaks or something like that? Yeah, or like customer needs like desperate support or like I turned out I had like a call at 10.30 p.m. and then I had to do some follow-ups after that. What desperate support could customers be needing from Causal? Um, we had a customer this week who was using Causal uh, to present a model in like a board meeting and they needed, uh, yeah, she needed us to help her. Um, yeah, fig- there were definitely some, bugs, some <laughs> bugs from our end that we had to find workarounds for and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Is that like a fun part of the job? Uh, it's good and bad. It's nice that like people are actually relying on causal for stuff. And so it's, it's nice that like uh, someone, you know, people care about it. Whereas maybe a year ago it would have been like, yeah, I mean, no one would have cared enough to, <laughs> for there ever to be an issue with anything. Um, so it's, it's nice, but like, yeah, it's obviously not nice if customers are kind of panicking because their thing isn't working at the last minute and they need to present it to their board or whatever, right? Um, so good and bad um but no i've had a good week how about you um i have had a significant hit to my quality of life recently and that is that i recently got these invisalign braces which a give me somewhat of a lisp when i'm talking oh yeah you're talking kind of funny (laughs) uh yeah my my talking kind of funny is secondary to these these braces but also it's just like a baseline kind of one out of ten discomfort really i have basically in all of my waking hours outside of when i'm eating (laughs) <laughs> when i'm eating i'm allowed to take them off and then suddenly the pain is gone or wow. it's 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 sort of like it's sort of like when you have like a you're walking and you have like something in your foot and yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. not causing you pain but you know it's there and i found myself just like becoming just like in like losing my internal tranquility a bit more than usual oh. and like just something will randomly just like frustrate me and i i know that it's because i i kind of have this like <laughs> ah why why is this why why is this happening to my teeth yeah <laughs> and i know that that's the cause of it so it's given yeah. me a real appreciation of uh what it must be like to for people to live with chronic pain just in a mm. you know a one out of ten level rather than a, a much higher level that other people live with that's pretty interesting so that's how i'm going but the, the, it looks pretty good like, i didn't actually notice you had them until you mentioned it yeah it's invisible invis align it's all, it's all very clever how it works it, it, are they sponsoring this episode uh no well, we should not we say should. too much on the topic. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, we can talk about the people who are very kindly sponsoring this episode, and that is brilliant. Go for it. Am I doing it? Yeah, you're doing it this time. All right. Brilliant is the best way to teach yourself anything to do with maths, computer science, or physics online. Uh, for everything else, there's obviously uh, Skillshare. Uh, but Brilliant is a great online platform to learn mathsy things. They really focus on teaching you the principles and the intuition behind things. Whereas often in school, it's more about memorizing certain methods and regurgitating them in exams rather than developing real mathematical understanding. And Brilliant is actually pretty good at that. And so if you go to brilliant.org forward slash not overthinking, what, what do you get, Ali? 
uh, you get uh, you can sign up for a free trial, and the first two hundred people to hit that URL will get twenty percent of the annual premium subscription. So you should definitely check it out. Brilliant.org forward slash not overthinking. Thank you to Brilliant. Um, before we get into the meat of today's episode, um, we did like a road trip last weekend with some lads, uh, and I was curious if you had any thoughts takeaways from that you know i think yeah group holiday kind of vibes you know general like discussing things you know any anything stick out from the trip there were a few things i think because it was like a a sort of three days extended basically in the car for 18 hours a day type situation i felt that it was good that we had a few a few podcasts to bring to bring to bear Mm. to act as like a springboard for further discussion and now saying that sort of makes me feel like Next time we do a road trip that's sort of car-based, we should get each person to bring an epi- a podcast episode or, or, yeah. or some some kind of semi-structured point of discussion yeah. uh, To so that inevitably once the organic conversation runs out, you've got this crutch that yeah. you can rely on that actually adds further spice to the mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really good. I, mean, I, think, I thought it was a bit poorly planned in that we were actually just in the car for the whole trip, in the car and having McDonald's at service stations. We didn't really do anything in Scotland. But like, yeah, I, th- I thought the car setup was good where... Yeah, just general chatting and then every now and then we put on a podcast and that would be, you know, shoot off some ideas for discussion and, and stuff like that. And then we also had a se- in the place where we were staying one night, we also had a session where you were just like reading out Kindle highlights from uh, from a book you read recently and then we were just like discussing those. That was also like a fun format, I think. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's good. <laughs> I'm glad you also did mention the title of the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can talk about that off the record. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, th- I thought it was a solid trip overall. There was another funny sort of thing that I, I was thinking about during the trip, which was, and I, I kind of voiced this theory in the car. Uh, essentially, I, I was driving and uh, Tarek, one of our friends, was in the passenger seat in the front. Uh, and it was kind of his, you know, while I was driving, it was his role to like, to feed me, <laughs> to like pass me the snacks and pass me the water and stuff like that. And I think like, I think it was, it was nice to have that kind of partnership with him where like, I was driving and he was sort of supporting me. Um, and I think he, I think he enjoyed it as well. He enjoyed like, you know, being able to contribute and being able to like help, help me help the rest of the group by driving the car. Right. But I, I was thinking it's kind of funny that like ordinarily we wouldn't like volunteer for those roles where like, you know, I'm in charge and, and you know, a, a friend of mine is like my helper or something like that. Even though like, it is nice to have that once in a while. Like if we were just at home you know, hanging out in, in the cottage where we were staying or something, and I was like repeatedly asking Tarek, hey man, can you give me some crisps or something? Uh, he, he'd probably oblige maybe once or twice, but then it would be a bit weird. Um, and I thought it was kind of funny that I think from time to time, everyone does like playing different roles of like, you know, leading and supporting and things like that. And I just thought it was funny that we need some kind of excuse or some kind of scaffolding to allow us to play play the natural roles that we want to sometimes play, you know? Uh, and so that was, that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, yeah, that's that's definitely true. There's something very nice about serving <laughs> serving another person. Right. But you, you want to serve the other person without seeming like a cuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a perfect setup for this is when you're in the passenger seat and they're asking you for food and drink yeah. and you're feeding them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's like so nice. nice. Both it's counts. like a nice yeah. partnership. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's like I'm, I imagine one day if i if i get into a long-term relationship or, or actually sometimes uh, my new housemate sheen does this in that like if i'm if i'm working or on the laptop or something mm. then she'll just offer me a cup of tea and we're like oh 
Thank you. That's so yeah. kind of you. That's like so yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I feel like she enjoys it as well. Yeah. As do I. Um, and this is actually one thing that is better about living with Sheen than it was living with Molly because Molly didn't drink hot drinks. Oh, and wow. so I could never offer her a cup of tea or coffee because she'd be like, Ali, you know I don't drink hot drinks. And I would like, you know, right. if they tried to heal so, me for that. Yeah. <laughs> you, so you, you wanted to serve, but there was I, just no way you exactly. could. You exactly. No you couldn't possibly just like tidy the kitchen yeah. <laughs> or any, any other thing. One time I even brought Molly flowers and he said, Ali, I don't care about flowers. I care about coming up to a clean house. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Yeah, what can you do? Yeah, I just... <laughs> Women these days, am I right? Hmm. Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> but yeah, it just got me thinking of like, I do think we all like to play role, you know, di- different roles some of the time and we just don't really get the chance to. Like, I think one role that, I don't know, maybe it's just like romanticizing like anime and movies and stuff, but I'd like to play the role of a hero at some point. <laughs> but there's nothing hero... I, I don't know, there's like, I'm, I probably won't run into someone dying on the street who I can, you know jump in and save or anything like that you know it just doesn't really happen day to day <laughs> oh mate that's something i something i used to fantasize about in primary school when i had a crush on this girl in like year six or something oh, year, it, would been, it would have been year five i would like concoct these scenarios where she's kind of walking across the road a car's coming and i dive oh, and done. grab her out of the way yeah <laughs> wait do you die in the scenario or no of course not okay right you both yeah. you're both safe yeah yeah we, we we land with me on top of her and then and then she looks into or the other way around and then she looks into my eyes and then she goes in for the kiss you know nice. yeah, so yeah this yeah. was me in year five Oof. Did you ever tell her how you feel? No, I didn't. What's well, one of my dying regrets? Wow. Yeah. Well, it'll be her, her dying regret too when she gets hit by this car. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> I wasn't there to save her. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Enough chit chat. Enough chit chat. Let's get on to the, the meat. We're doing a book discussion. All right. We're discussing The Four Hour Workweek. Damn. By uh, Timothy Ferris. I regard this as one of the, as the book that's most changed my life. Wow. And you've never read it. I've never read it. Um, uh, okay, a few, a few caveats, a bit of housekeeping, you know, okay. as, as it were, before, before we get started. This book was written in 2006, so the tone of it is quite like, it's quite preachy and quite like, he, he, he comes across as a bit of an arrogant twat really? in the book. Okay. And he says in interviews that he sort of, sort of, uh, sort of regrets the way he portrayed himself in the book, but it, he was, you know, this was like 15 years ago, like, yeah. the, that, that was him back in the day. And his vibe is a lot more measured now. So I know a lot of people who have started reading this book and, and have said, oh, I don't like Tim Ferriss. And I'm like, guys, come on. Yeah, You've got to yeah. give the dude a chance. He's a legit guy. Yeah. Um, a second caveat is that this was revolutionary at the time, but it's now 14 years later. It's no longer revolutionary. A lot of these ideas are very, very mainstream. Yeah. But I still think a large chunk of our audience may not have come across them before. Yeah. And third point is that these ideas are so mainstream and this book was such a pivotal thing to the point that it's become memefied. Yeah. So... When I read some highlights, you might be like, oh, that's so cringe. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, keep in mind, we should not judge the past with the standards of today um, <laughs> or, right. or, or something like that. Someone's getting cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we get started? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Before we start, actually, yeah, I feel like this is one of those like sort of like game changing books that makes it, you know, that kind of changes the narrative around things. And so I, mean, I think the reason I haven't actually bothered reading it is the same reason I haven't bothered reading other sort of game-changing books like The Lean Startup. Um, because, yeah, I, I feel like these books just had a huge, su- such a huge impact that you've, you kind of end up imbibing all the lessons through, like, the general stuff you hear and other people writing articles and things that you've read. And, and, and so my, my conception of the 4-Hour Workweek is basically that it advocates for uh, outsourcing menial work to other people uh maybe not menial but like yeah basically 
I think what it's doing is it's trying to provide a blueprint to set up a business where you've just outsourced all the work to other people. Uh, and it's kind of advocating for this sort of outsourcing kind of mindset. Uh, is that is that accurate? Uh, that's one aspect of it. Okay. Um, the outsourcing thing is definitely is one of the m- kind of more practical things that people take away from the book. But I think m- the more game changing thing from the, from the book is kind of the the, in the initial philosophy that it espouses, which which to you at this point is going to just seem so obvious, right? Yeah, well, not not to even be commented upon. But, yep. um, so he kind of starts off with a story and, and and stuff, and then yeah, I'll just kind of take you through some of the introduction, and then we'll kind of talk about the four sections of the book. So um, the most fundamental of American questions is hard for me to answer these days. And luckily so. If it, if it weren't, you wouldn't be holding this book in your hands. The question is, so what do you do? Oh. Assuming you can find me, which is hard to do. And depending on when you ask me, I prefer you didn't. Uh, I could be racing motorcycles in Europe, scuba diving off a private island in Panama, resting under a palm tree between kickboxing sessions in Thailand or dancing tango in Buenos Aires. The beauty is I'm not a multimillionaire, nor do I particularly care to be. This was written 14 years ago. He is absolutely... (laughs) (laughs) He says, I never enjoyed answering this cocktail question because it reflects an epidemic I was long part of. Job descriptions as self-descriptions. If someone asks me now and is anything but absolutely sincere, I explain my lifestyle of mysterious means simply. I'm a drug dealer. He used to sell like supplements and stuff as his online business back in the day, which which is another thing that sort of anti-Tim Ferriss people will be like, oh, he's just advocating selling snake oil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but this is this is something this is certainly something that I resonated with like immediately when I read this, and this was like my first introduction to this idea that hey, hang on, yeah, asking someone what do you do, that's kind of weird, yeah. Um, and this is a topic that we've long sort of talked about on the podcast. Um, and then he introduces the terminology of the new rich, and this again kind of gets some people's hackles up. Uh, so he says, for the first time, I'm going to tell you the real story. It involves a quiet subculture of people <laughs> called the new rich. It's not very quiet. It's not very, it's not very sub anymore. Um, and basically he talks about kind of the new rich. Uh, so sort of who uh, go for the art and science of lifestyle design. And this was kind of the first, like he coined the term lifestyle design, which is now again, fairly mainstream in the sorts of uh, bits on the internet that you and I spend time. He says, life doesn't have to be so damn hard. It really doesn't. Most people, my past self included, have spent too much time convincing themselves that life has to be hard. A resignation to nine to five drudgery in exchange for sometimes relaxing weekends and the occasional keep it short or get fired vacation. And then he kind of talks about how um, that, and and this was another point that really resonated with me when I first read it, is that people don't want to be millionaires. They want to experience what they believe only millions can buy. Ski chalets, butlers, and exotic travel often enter the picture. Perhaps rubbing cocoa butter on your belly in a hammock while you listen to waves rhythmically lapping against the deck of your thatched roof bungalow. Sounds nice. He says, a million dollars in the bank isn't the fantasy. The fantasy is the lifestyle of complete freedom it supposedly allows. The question is then, how can one achieve the millionaire lifestyle of complete freedom without first having a million dollars? And then he talks about in the last five years, he's answered this question for himself. And he talks about essentially the book being about... um, doing this thing of setting up businesses and crucially uh, arbitraging currency, i.e. if you had like, if you had a business that was making a thousand dollars a month, that would get you a shoebox in London if you're lucky. But if you had a business that was making you a thousand dollars a month, you would live like a king in like Bali or Thailand or the Philippines or places like that. Hmm. And I think again, he was, he was the first, at least the first mainstream guy to really talk about this as a concept, yeah. which spawned like a whole generation of like, you know, the nomads and people who work from their laptops and live in, live on the beach type situation. Yeah. What made you read this book, by the way? How old were you? You were 16 or something? Um, yeah, 16. So somewhere between 16 and 18. 
and I'd I'd heard it recommended so often. Where on on, on things like Lifehacker and like stuff that I was, and even like TechCrunch, which I was reading back in the day. Okay. Um, and at one point I was like, okay, you know what? I've I've heard this for a work week, but mm. being recommended so much, I should just read it. And yeah. I found a PDF on the internet, as one does, uh, and it changed everything. Then we've got like a kind of in the in the first chapter of the book, it's essentially split up into four parts. So D E A L. Very good acronym there. D for definition, E for elimination, A for automation, and L for liberation. Um, so I'll just take you through some of the key points in the uh, D definition chapter. And kind of he's talking about the the mindset of the kind of... Uh, okay, so <laughs> essentially he says that he, he, he calls normal people the... Uh, he calls normal people the deferrers, i.e. they're living the deferred life plan which is generally the life plan of you work a nine to five job, you have a house, get a mortgage, you go, wife, get some kids, and then you retire at 65 and then you can go and live on a beach somewhere. So that's the deferred life plan. It's like, I'm working hard when I'm young so that when I'm old, I will be able to enjoy my retirement type situation. Mm. And then he kind of contrasts that with the new rich. And so, for example, um, so for example, a D, a deferrer might, might have, a, have a dream to work for themselves, whereas the new rich would, would have a dream of having others work for you. A deferrer would say would want to. A deferrer would have the dream to work when you want to, whereas the new rich's dream would be to prevent work for work's sake and to do, and to do the minimum necessary for maximum effect. A deferrer would want to retire early or young, whereas the new rich would want to distribute recovery periods and adventures, i.e., mini retirements, throughout life on a regular basis and recognize that inactivity is not the goal. Doing doing that which excites you is. Someone who's a deferrer would want to be the boss instead of the employee to be in charge. You know that's the ultimate dream. Whereas for the new rich. It's to be neither the boss nor the employee, but the owner, to own the trains and have someone else ensure that they run on time. All right. I understand the concept of the deferrer and the new rich. <clears throat> so when you were 16, like, what was your, what was your sort of default conception of, like, the world of work? Honestly, it was, it was this deferred life plan thing. Like, I didn't think, I, did, I didn't really examine it very much, but I'd been trying to do the whole making a quick buck on the internet for a while. Mm. And the reason I was doing that was just, I just had in my head the notion that, oh, it would be cool to be rich. Okay, and I just didn't hadn't examined that. And when I read this, it was like my first idea of like, what do, what does it actually mean to be rich? Like, what's the point? Mm. And it's sort of this thing of actually, you don't need to be that rich to do this kind of cool stuff, like mm. traveling the world and, and stuff like that. <clears throat> he then goes on to talk about retirement and says that retirement is the worst case scenario insurance. He says retirement planning is like life insurance. It should be viewed as nothing more than a hedge against the absolute worst case scenario. In this case, becoming physically incapable of working and needing a reservoir of capital to survive. Retirement as a goal or final redemption is flawed for at least three solid reasons. Number one, it's predicted on the assumption that you dislike what you're doing during the most physically capable years of your life. This is a non-starter. Nothing can justify that sacrifice. I should uh, take, take heart from that. Secondly, he says most people will never be able to retire and maintain even a hot dogs for dinner standard of living. Even one million is chump change in a world where traditional retirement could span 30 years and inflation lowers your purchasing power by 2 to 4% each year. The math doesn't work. The golden years become lower middle class life revisited. That's a bittersweet ending. And thirdly, if the math does work, it means that you are one ambitious, hardworking machine. If that's the case, guess what? One week into retirement, you'll be so damn bored that you'll want to stick bicycle spokes in your eyes. You'll probably opt to look for a new job or start another company. Kind of defeats the purpose of waiting, doesn't it? Hmm. Yeah, it's all good stuff. I feel like he's taking a very extreme stance, but like, yeah, sure. Like, I don't think most people... I think his his um his thing about the defer is, a bit, is like a massive caricature. I think like most people are, you know, not actually that extreme about it of like 
I'm going to while away almost all of my life for the for the sake of like retirement where I can actually have fun. I think that no one's actually like that. Yeah, no, but fair sure, I understand. He's building up a straw man to then take it down with his right stuff. <clears throat> One thing that I highlighted is the new rich aim to distribute mini retirements throughout life instead of hoarding the recovery and enjoyment for the fool's gold of re- of re- instead of hoarding the recovery and enjoyment for the fool's gold of retirement. By working only when you're most effective, life is both more productive and more enjoyable. It's a fair, perfect example of having your cake and eating it too. He says, personally, I now aim for one month for over, one month of overseas relocation or high intensity learning, like tango fighting, whatever, for every two months of work projects. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, I, I, I highlighted that with me at the time because that seemed to resonate that like a month of either living in a different country or learning something in an yeah, interesting yeah. way for every two months of like doing standard work stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I've often fantasized about like going to China for a month or two, a month or two and joining some hardcore badminton camp and just like playing oh, badminton for like sick. a month straight. <laughs> that, would <be> so good. <laughs> that would be amazing. Why China? I don't know. I guess they're hot in badminton <laughs> over there. <laughs> oh, here's another good one. Um, he says, the timing is never right. I once asked my mum how she decided when to have her first child, little old me. The answer was simple. It was something we wanted and we decided there was no point in putting it off. The timing is never right to have a baby. And so it is. For all of the most important things, the timing always sucks. Waiting for a good time to quit your job, the stars will never align and the traffic lights of life will never all be green at the same time. The universe doesn't conspire against you, but it doesn't go out of its way to line up all the pins either. Conditions are never perfect. And I've highlighted this. Someday is a disease that will take your dreams to the grave with you. Pro and con lists are just as bad. If it's important to you and you want to do it eventually, just do it and correct course along the way. Good stuff. He also says, ask for forgiveness, not permission. And again, I, I, I highlighted this back in, back when I was like 17. <laughs> yeah. If it isn't going to devastate those around you, try it and then justify it. People, whether parents, partners or bosses, deny things on an emotional basis that they can learn to accept after the fact. If the potential damage is moderate or in any way reversible, don't give people the chance to say no. Most people are fast to stop you before you get started, but hesitant to get in the way if you're moving. Get good at being a troublemaker and saying sorry when you really screw up. So I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's going to be me one day. Yeah. <laughs> As I was preparing for my A-levels, trying to get into med school. <laughs> I'm going to start businesses and travel the world. The other one is uh, you know, fairly obvious. Things in excess become their opposite. It is possible to have too much of a good thing. Um, too much, too many, and too often of what you want becomes what you don't want. This is true of possessions and even time. Lifestyle design is thus not interested in creating an excess of idle time, which is poisonous, but the positive use of free time defined simply as doing what you want to do as opposed to what you feel obligated to do. And again, 17-year-old me highlighted that, thinking, oh, yeah, that's what I should do my free time, mm. what I want. That's great stuff, man. Yeah, very in line with all the, the stuff we've been talking about, about workism. Mm. So I'm eating an after-eight mint right now. Nice. Uh, really r- rubbing it in for me because I can't eat anything until I take my braces off. Oh, really? Well, yeah. lucky, mate. Um, th- there's a quote that he has at the start of the next chapter, which is from Mark Twain. And this is really nice. This is one of my favorite quotes. I am an old man and have known a great many troubles, but most of them never happened. Ah, oh, nice. <laughs> That's good stuff. <laughs> yeah. I love quotes, man. Quotes get a bad rap for being like, I don't know, like, you know, sort of people trivialize them because you see them on like, I don't know, these Instagram pages and stuff like that. But they're great. Yeah, I love quotes. I was thinking of doing like a quote club series on YouTube where I just kind of each video just discuss like five quotes from like a random thing. Mm. The good compression of an insight, you know. Mm. Oh, here's a good thing that I that I, I I I actually still think about to this day. Uh, he says, uh, 
What do you want? A better question, first of all. Most people will never know what they want. I don't know what I want. If you ask me what I want to do in the next five months for language learning, on the other hand, I do know. It's a matter of specificity. What do you want is too imprecise to produce a meaningful and actionable answer. Forget about it. What are your goals is similarly fated for confusion and guesswork. To rephrase the question, we need to take a step back and look at the bigger picture. Let's assume we have 10 goals and we achieve them. What is the desired outcome that makes all the effort worthwhile? The most common response is what I would have suggested five years ago. Happiness. I no longer believe this is a good answer. Happiness can be bought with a bottle of wine and has become amb ambiguous through overuse. There is a more precise alternative that reflects what I believe the actual objective is. Bear with me. What is the opposite of happiness? Sadness? No. Just as love and hate are two sides of the same coin, so are happiness and sadness. Crying out of happiness is the perfect illustration of this. The opposite of love is indifference, and the opposite of happiness is, here's the clincher, boredom. And then here's the bit that I highlighted. Excitement is the more practical synonym for happiness, and it is precisely what you should strive to chase. It is the cure-all. When people suggest you follow your passion or your bliss, I propose that they are in fact referring to the same singular concept, excitement. This brings us full circle. The question you should, should be asking isn't what do I want or what are my goals, but what would excite me? Mm. I think about this a lot. Because yeah. now that I'm unemployed, um, self-employed, I'm having to really ask myself, like, what do I actually want? And I always think back to this chapter and think, is that really the right question? Because I have no idea what the hell I want. Mm. But I think going for what what seems exciting and cool and fun mm. as like a short-term uh, short compass seems like it's not really going to lead me astray. Right. I think maybe for some people going for excitement, you know, people might say, oh, well, you know, you get excitement by doing drugs. And like, you know, I, th I think that's, again, a, a, a caricature. And certainly for me, and I imagine for most people reading the podcast, if we were to just kind of go for the things that seem fun, we probably won't go very far wrong. Yeah, sure. Look, I don't disagree with the idea. Mm. Yeah, it's one framing of things. Yeah, I think it's a fine framing of things. It's, it's generally not how I, how I personally frame this stuff to myself. How do you frame it? These days, I frame it in terms of flourishing. <laughs> this, this word called flourishing <laughs> that I've been, I've uh, mentioned it to you a bunch of times. Mm. I mean, we, we were chatting about this on the road trip as well. Um, yeah, look, I guess it just depends on what you mean by excitement, right? I think m my conception of excitement is... Like chasing cheap thrills. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> like a road trip to Scotland. Yeah, well, yeah. No, but I, I, yeah, I guess my uh, my conception of excitement is, if if we go back to episode, what was it, four or five or something, uh, about the the kitchen bin and my, my theory of, of measure and, and magnitude, it's, my conception of excitement is it's sort of high magnitude, but probably low measure. Um, whereas uh, the way that I, I tend to frame things to myself nowadays is... Um, yeah, through this idea of like um, trying to flourish uh, and what that kind of means. Uh, hard to describe what that means, but I think like, yeah, in general, I, I'm more of a, I'm a measure man. I'm a man of measure. Uh, yeah, like this. Yeah, I, I guess excitement, you, you have this idea of like some thrill or like some... I'm going to go to China for a month to play badminton yeah, right, some, intensively. Yeah, it's like this idea of like some extreme joy or, or something like that or like some basically some extreme event uh, whereas yeah i guess the stuff that i'm trying to sort of seeking most of the time is not is not generally some kind of extreme emotional reaction but really just kind of uh yeah maybe like a, a slower burn of contentment <laughs> i'm okay. chasing the slow burn of contentment okay. is what i'm doing uh 
But again, these are all just like it's all, yeah, it's all kind, of, kind of same thing. Yeah, and it, it depends on what your definition of excitement is. Like, I think excitement of more of oh, this seems like fun rather than I'm chasing some like you know ten out of ten emotional high. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, on the background of general contentment as well. Yeah, and this is where uh, this book is where I first came across the eighty twenty rule as well for the first time, um, and the second chapter is E for eliminate. So the first chapter was D for define, kind of defining this term of this idea of the new rage and defining how do we know what we want? Well, we don't really, we just kind of, we should go for excitement and defining the idea of mini retirements, saying that retirement as a goal is a totally pointless thing because you don't want to be 65 on a beach with with osteoarthritis in both your knees. You want to spread out mini retirements throughout your life yeah. where you're taking kind of somewhat extended breaks from work. Uh, to do the stuff that you would imagine a retired person would do, be like, oh, I can't wait to retire because then I'll be able to do X, you know, take a month off work and do the thing and see if actually yeah, yeah. it brings you joy. The, the, separate, the second chapter is about elimination. And he tells the story about how he was running his his business. And he uh, he says, uh, and this is a bit that I've highlighted, more customers is not the goal and often translates into 90% more housekeeping and a paltry 1% to 3% increase in income. Make no mistake, maximum income from minimal necessary effort, including minimum number of customers, is the primary goal. And I suppose this is kind of what you're doing at Causal. Like you want, you'd rather have fewer customers paying more money than lots of customers paying small amounts of money. I don't in, know. In, in terms of their upkeep, but but then there is the opposite viewpoint that if you are beholden to a few small, a few big customers, that actually puts a lot more pressure on you than having like <clears throat> tens of thousands paying small amounts. Uh, yeah, but the goal, the goal of Causal isn't just to make money, man. No, sure. I know. <laughs> like, uh, it's uh, yeah, more, like more people would be great. <laughs> I think it's 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 probably more efficient for us to have fewer high-paying customers in terms of generating revenue. But like, uh, yeah, we'd love for lots of people to use Causal. Oh, I highlighted Parkinson's law as well. This this was the first time I came across that. Parkinson's law dictates that a task will swell in perceived importance and complexity in relation to the time allotted for its completion. It is the magic of the imminent deadline. Yeah, this is so good, man. I feel like this is the strongest force that like runs the world. <laughs> yeah, he says, if I give you 24 hours to complete a project, the time pressure forces you to focus on execution and you have no choice but to only do the bare essentials. If I give you a week to complete the same task, it's six days of making a mountain out of a molehill. If I give you two months, God forbid, it becomes a mental monster. The end product of a shorter deadline is almost invariably of equal or higher quality due to greater focus. Yeah, one one thing related to that that I've been thinking about recently uh, is this idea of like, I don't know, I, th- I think some people might refer to the same concept as like tempo. Uh, I sort of think about it as like the, the sort of the unit of time on which you or a system or a company operates. So, uh, you know, probably in the early, in the early, early days of causal, <laughs> all those uh, weeks ago, uh, you know, if we, I, I think the unit of time on which we operated was like, I don't know, maybe like uh, a one, one hour or a two hour chunk of time. Uh, whereas I feel like now when I, when I think about, okay, what are we, what are we going to do? Uh, or like, what, you know, what are we working on? Okay, we need to do this thing. How long will it take? I feel like the unit of time is closer to like, uh, I don't know, maybe like half a day or something. Um, and I, don't th- I think that's a bad thing. I think like, uh, yeah, because I, I think because of Parkinson's law, it's most it's it's actually it's mostly arbitrary how long uh you how long things take and it's mo- it's like mostly about just like your mindset uh and how long how long you give the things and so if you're just operating on this shorter time scale um i feel like you can just get a lot more done and and like you know i guess yeah back when i had a real job or something uh, or maybe this was just me being a bad employee but it certainly felt like the the sort of the 
time quantum for the for the company is that right is, is the right use of quantum i think so a qu- quantum yeah, is like, like a, a discrete a, a thing discrete unit of something right that yeah. you, you can't get smaller than that yeah. thing right so i think that the, the 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 time quantum was i don't know maybe like a day or something uh i, I imagine at like bigger organizations that are more bloated uh it's like a week or a quarter or whatever right um and like noticing what your own time quantum is when you're sort of thinking about tasks and things i think that that's a pretty helpful exercise and then trying to you know, trying to keep that low. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. There was there was some tweet I came across which is which said that like the default duration of one hour for a meeting on a calendar is like the source of so much lost productivity in the world. Right. Because yeah, it's just in like most meetings don't take an hour. Most activities when you stick them into your calendar actually won't take an hour. Yeah. And I think an hour is kind of the unit of time that I I think in with my stuff. Okay. And this is probably possibly misguided. Like I was saying to Angus um, the other day that we're, we're, we're trying to create more of a schedule for me okay. where, where I want him to kind of schedule bits into my calendar for when I should be editing certain scripts or filming certain videos. Right. So that's a mental overhead that I don't have to deal with. And I kind of estimated that for, write, for reviewing or writing a script, it'll take me about an hour. And for filming a video, it'll take me about an hour mm. with an extra hour of kind of fixed cost setup time for setting up the cameras and stuff. Yeah. Um, that's probably a bit of an overestimate. Like it probably doesn't take that long, but I think it probably is still helpful to have have that long chunk of time just in case to add a little bit of buffer. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, certainly I, I, I noticed myself doing this a little bit when I'd be like planning out my day and I'd, I'd have like a, a call at two and then I'd be like, okay, I'll go gym from like four to six or something and I've got dinner with someone at eight. And then I would just kind of in my head think, okay, that's basically the whole day gone. Right, yeah, yeah, But yeah. actually from three to four, I've got a solid hour. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> From like six to eight, I have a solid two hours, but yeah. I don't, think of that time in between events as being mm. being there and be like yeah. oh damn i've got a really packed day I, I really don't have a packed day yeah yeah okay the other kind of, so let's mo- let's move on to the uh outsourcing stuff all right okay here we go here is a sneak preview of full automation i woke up this morning and given that it's monday i checked my email for one hour after an exquisite buenos aires breakfast Snowmia from India had found a long-lost high school classmate of mine, and Anakul from yourmaninindia.com had put together Excel research reports for retiree happiness and average annual hours worked in different fields. Interviews for this week had been set by a third Indian virtual assistant, who had also found the contact information for the best kendo schools in Japan and the top salsa teachers in Cuba. In the next email folder, I was pleased to see my fulfillment account manager in Tennessee, Beth, had resolved nearly two dozen problems in the last week, keeping our largest clients in China and South Africa smiling, and had also coordinated sales, California sales tax filing with my accountants in Michigan. The taxes had been paid via my credit card on file, and a quick glance at my bank accounts confirmed that Shane and the rest of the team at my credit card processor were depositing more cash than last month. All was right in the world of automation. It was a beautiful sunny day, and I closed my laptop with a smile. For an all-you-can-eat buffet breakfast with coffee and orange juice, I paid $4. The Indian outsourcers cost between $4 and $10 per hour. My domestic outsourcers are paid on performance or when product ships. This creates a curious business phenomenon. Negative cash flow is impossible. Fun things happen when you earn dollars, live on pesos, and compensate in rupees. But that's just the beginning. That's a nice phrase. That's good. I need to highlight that. <laughs> yeah, so after this came out, like, uh, like apparently the whole world started trying to do the outsourcing thing and all these like outsourcing companies like blossomed overnight, mm-hmm. um, like the ones that, that were mentioned in the book. And reading this directly led to, for example, the question banks that you and I made right. uh, in like 2014 to 2016 like basically 100% of the menial data entry from getting data from past papers and, inco- and in, inputting it into, into the database was done by a dude called John from the Philippines who I was paying like $3 an hour, mm. which is like really good for like someone in the Philippines. And it was just like so much, so much work that was being done. And 
I really remember this feeling of it, it, it sort of felt like me kind of little sort of 19 year old kid, like nerd kid on my laptop sort of commanding this army of mm-hmm. like people from from around the world be like okay John yeah. you can do this that yeah. you know Nancy you can do that like Tom you can do this it was it was so sick <laughs> and this is sort of the feeling that I sometimes have with uh the team that works works for me now yeah is that like occasionally when things are going right it's like a real feeling of like oh my god like there's so much leverage here like you can have an idea yeah and you don't have to do it yourself you can just get other people to do it for you and yeah. It's very, very affordable we'll with freelancers. And even, even even so, this is still something that basically every other, every YouTuber I meet who, like, very few of them have outsourced their video editing. I don't realize just how cheaply and how efficiently, effectively you can outsource video editing. Yeah. Um, which is something that YouTubers consistently complain about all the time. You've got a freelancer as well working for Causal, right? He's, he's yeah, not, like, particularly low paid. No, he's he's compensated very well. He's an engineering, uh, yeah, software engineer guy. He probably, yeah, he he probably does more product stuff these days than we do. Like most of the new features that we ship these days come from him. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's nice. It's it's pretty cool. The times when and look, this is self indulgent, but while we're sharing these stories, yeah. the times where I feel pretty cool is if I'm in bed and I'm on Slack. <laughs> Slack is our like internal messaging app. Uh, Anatoly, our contractor, or, or sometimes even Lucas, I guess, might ask like a a question on Slack about some like task or something, or like I'll notice something's come up, and from from bed, from my bed, from my phone, I'll post in the, in the Slack channel saying. Hey, can we like, can we do, can we like, uh, do this thing instead of this thing? Um, and it would just get done. And it's like, whoa, it was sick. <laughs> nice. I didn't leave the bed for that. <laughs> so what's an example of that? Like, um, I think it's actually, I think it usually feels pretty cool when there is a, uh, a decision that I need to make about someone else's work and I can make that from my phone, from my bed. <laughs> uh, yeah. Where like, yeah, some the contractor might say, you know, what's the next highest priority thing? Or like, should I, should I do this or that? Or like, how do we want this thing to work? Yeah. And then I'll just like, you know, in my sort of drunken stupor in the morning, <laughs> I'll just like type out a Slack message. <laughs> and like work actually happens out of that. It's yeah, it's quite a nice feeling. Yeah, I, I, I kind of had one of those moments uh, yesterday. I was talking to my assistant, Elizabeth, and we were talking about like, we were talking with with, with, with some other guy. And he was saying that, hey, you guys should consider putting your not overthinking podcast clips on like a separate YouTube channel like Joe Rogan does. Mm. And I was like, yeah, we should do that. And Elizabeth said, it's literally what we've been doing for the last like six weeks. And I was like, really? She was <laughs> like, yeah, you, you told me in Angus to do it like about two months ago. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been happening. Is that happening? Oh, <laughs> damn. Yeah. I I like, no way. <laughs> I had absolutely no idea. She was like, have you, have you not seen the channel? I was like, no, why the hell would I check the podcast channel? <laughs> I want to search my own podcast on yeah. YouTube. <laughs> but apparently it's been happening. In fact, I'm going to search for that right now just to make sure it actually is. <laughs> okay, it's not legit enough to be on, on a Google search. Let's just try searching YouTube itself. Oh, yeah, we've got clips. Of what? Everything? Uh, so, so certainly some of the stuff. How many videos do we have on the channel? Oh, damn. Yeah, we've got quite a lot. Whoa, look at that. <laughs> Boom. Hey, that's a lot of videos. That's quite a lot of videos. Awesome. We have pretty bad thumbnails for them, though. I feel like we need more a more defined thumbnail format. Yeah, we need more attractive hosts. Yeah, <laughs> am I right? <laughs> very good. Oh yeah. Well, look, this is a very side point. I think YouTube does a very good job of like engagement analytics. So like, we have a causal YouTube account where, yeah, basically there are a couple of things where we had to like make a YouTube video to submit like a, an, an Excel plugin to the Excel store or something, you know, that kind of stuff. And so we have like I don't know three YouTube videos 
like very niche causal things of like here's how causal this thing in causal works hmm. and every month i get an email from youtube saying like oh you got this many subscribers this month and and the the most interesting one is like this is how many hours of video were watched this month or so i think last month it was like like 15 or 16 hours which is you know, very paltry in the grand scheme of things but the idea that like 16 hours of human life last month <laughs> was dedicated to watching these like obscure causal videos that we did for a couple of things it was just pretty it was pretty interesting to see that number whereas with all the other stuff i use like twitter for example i spent a ton of time on twitter i have no i, I don't really have an i guess i know how many followers i have but i don't really have any idea of like the reach of my tweets or like what you know what impacts on the human life on my tweets I mean, it's, it's right there in the twitter analytics if you care to look for it yeah i guess i don't care to look for it but youtube, YouTube with just, his monthly email just yeah. is pretty what, what what for example is your monthly number by the way <laughs> have a guess <laughs> okay let me think how would you estimate how many hours of <laughs> of human watch time i've wasted <laughs> um okay um, and, 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 talk, and talk through your working <laughs> okay <laughs> how many videos do you put out a month uh, let's say one a week or let's say one and a uh, let's say two a week actually okay two videos a week let's say they're like 10 minutes in length each um so that's it's almost as if you don't watch my videos but i'm sure that's not the case so that's maybe two two hours of new video content per month right is that right i don't know you hear the math guy <laughs> yeah i think that's i think that's roughly right <laughs> a million subscribers let's say like a quarter of them actually like religiously watch the videos or something it might even be like god i wish <laughs> oh really okay yeah. okay let's say 10 percent of them watch all the videos like uh, all of all the videos um so a hundred thousand times two hours uh that's two hundred thousand hours and then there's probably and then there's like a bunch of people watching old videos and a bunch of non-subscribers which are probably yeah i'd say like old video views and non-subscriber views are probably the majority I, i'd guess maybe like uh a million hours a month or something mm. oh, i'll give you a range as a, as a man of <laughs> <laughs> who quantifies uncertainty i'll give you a range i'll say 600k to uh, no i'll say 750 to 1.2 750k to 1.25 million hours okay you're overestimating a lot oh really yeah Damn. so this month was 577,000 hours of watch time ah which was up 37 percent from the last month oh wow okay yeah so yeah, I think the yeah, I think about ten percent is sort of I can I can expect to get about a hundred thousand views on a video sort of at a minimum. Yeah. So for example, I had one that was published in in June that had one hundred ten thousand views. Okay. And that's sort of the lower bound. Actually, I had one that was seventy seven thousand, eighty seven thousand. So like you know, a, a range of sort of minimum eighty thousand ish, right. maximum. You know, I had one the other day that was two point five million. Um, but interesting to see how the maths works in your head. Hmm. Because your two hundred thousand figure was pretty was pretty accurate for subscribers. Yeah, I guess. I, yeah, the like proportion me, of subscribers yeah, to so randos is my, difficult to judge. Yeah, mine is about sixty forty randos to subscribers. Okay, right. And so, yeah, yeah, that adds to about five hundred six hundred thousand hours. Anyway, um, let's just go through some more highlights, and then we'll call it a day. So I've just got a few left. Chapter twelve is called the Disappearing Act: How to Escape the Office, and it starts with a quote from Robert Frost, which is another one that I really like. Um, he says. By working faithfully eight hours a day, you may eventually get to be a boss and work 12 hours a day. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good old Robert Frost. There's another line. He, um, he, he, he tells a story of someone who uh, essentially asked to work remotely. And his boss was like, yeah, all right, go for it. And he just kind of went for it. And it worked. Uh, now, now, these days, everyone is working remotely. But um, essentially he says, 
And I've highlighted this bit. The guard is changing. Being bound to one place will be the new defining feature of middle class. The new rich are defined by a more elusive power than simple cash, unrestricted mobility. How do you feel about that these days? Because that's like pretty standard affair for like tech people. Yeah, I'd say a lot of my tech friends have this. I have a friend uh, who's actually just um, usually lives in San Francisco, but he's just been uh, living in London for the past couple of weeks and coming to London quite a lot. I think he's planning to go to Paris tomorrow for a, a couple of weeks, something like that. Yeah, I think a, a lot of people kind of live, a lot of tech people are, are kind of doing that. Uh, I personally think it's highly overrated, yeah. personally. Okay. Uh, but that's because you went to Okinawa for like a month where no one, no one speaks English, right? Do you have actually any actual experience of doing this in a reasonable place where you can hang out with people and meet people and stuff? Yeah, I guess I'm just, I'm skeptical of very short stints in places. A short defined as? I don't know, two weeks or something. Oh, okay. I'm thinking like one to two months. Yeah, like maybe a, like one to two months at a time. Maybe that could work. Um, yeah, I guess the last time I tried that, we didn't do a good job of it. We're planning to try it again next month. Where you see going? how that goes. Uh, we're planning to go to the Dominican Republic for oh, about a month. Thanks for the invite. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah we'll, I, I don't know if it'll materialize yet. We haven't actually booked stuff, but that's roughly the plan. Why the hell did it, like, Why Dominican Republic? Well, we were planning to go to Southeast Asia um but the covid situation there isn't that good and dominican republic seems to have a good balance of like we probably won't die of coronavirus and the internet is decent and the cost of living is you know doable that we can get like a really nice house and stuff and that, and that kind of thing okay so living the tim ferris lifestyle <laughs> yeah yeah i guess so interesting yeah, i was we'll see how it goes i was chatting to um john o'nolan on a deep dive the other day he's the founder of ghost Okay. Um, and he's been doing the kind of living from a backpack thing for like years now. Mm. Um, I think he's in, in his 30s and he's been basically doing it his whole working life. Right. Um, and right now he's renting an apartment, uh, like a, a nice house in the Philippines, uh, where, and he's planning to buy a boat as like the only purchase that he has, essentially. Mm. And he was kind of saying that this is the best thing ever. But he was also kind of very measured about this. He's like um, a British dude and therefore sort of less American about the whole thing and less preachy about it. I was like, yeah, it works for some people. It doesn't work for others. I think he was like, yeah, if you if you feel like it might be fun for you, then you should definitely give it a go. Maybe you'll find you don't like it, in which case, sure, go back home. Mm. But you might find that actually this is great and I don't want to do anything else. Yeah. And he said that living that lifestyle for him also is like a surefire way to reduce lifestyle creep because essentially the only possessions he buys are the ones he can fit into a suitcase, mm. which automatically puts an upper limit on the amount of like pointless stuff you can buy. So he just works, he manages his, his entirely remote company of 22 people. Yeah. They're doing like 2.7 mil in annual recurring revenue and it's just living in the Philippines and travels around and stuff. So it seems that like a pretty, pretty good, good setup. Yeah. I think the reason I'm a little skeptical about it is because, and again, maybe I'm sure this varies a lot from person to person. I'm a man of the people, you know, I like to connect with my fellow man. I like a sense of, I like a sense of community. And I think when we, when we had some stability for the first half of this year, um, we as in me and my co-founder, uh, when we had a place in London, it was nice to kind of regularly have people around, often the same people, but also introducing, you know, get, uh, introducing existing friends to new friends and things like that. It was nice to kind of foster and nurture a little community and be part of that. Whereas, I don't know, historic, like when we've traveled around, yeah, I guess maybe we've just done it badly where we haven't like found a community or whatever it's kind of just been us and maybe a couple of other friends like it's fun sure but it's uh it's not the slow burn of contentment <laughs> you know yeah 
Uh, I I asked John about this about kind of what the what the social setup is like. Um, and for him, he was saying that well, he he travels with his wife, and so that like makes it okay inherently more social right he said that he has like through doing the travel thing you find other people who are also doing the travel thing and so you end up actually making friends all over the world and then you hang out with them when when you go back to places and he said that mostly his travels and the the people he knows who do this a lot it's more like they're going back to a place where they've already set up a community or they've got like a a network of friends who live there permanently and they're just kind of going back and starting in there for a certain period of time um but then there are other bloggers like natalie eisen who who stuff i follow who stuff I follow, who did the traveling thing for a couple of years and then realized that actually I've got this out of my system now and I actually want to invest in my local community and all this sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's just about kind of trying it out, seeing, yeah. seeing what you like and, and going with that. There's a nice uh, quote from uh, Nicola Machiavelli's The Prince that I've highlighted, <laughs> of course. All courses of action are risky, so prudence is not in avoiding danger. It's impossible. But calculating risk and act- acting decisively, make mistakes of ambition and not mistakes of sloth. Develop the strength to do bold things, not the strength to suffer. This is actually, I, I, I'd, I'd forgotten that this is where this line is from because I've had this kind of make mistakes of ambition rather than mistakes of sloth in my head for a while. And I think this is a big part, was a significant part of why I was leaning towards the going to America, doing the USMLE type thing. Because, because most people's like issue with it is that this is a lot of hard work that you have to get through and a lot of hoops you have to jump through to get to America. And my th- I, didn't, I, I didn't want like when looking back on my life i don't want it to be like i'd I'd, I'd rather make a mistake of ambition i.e you you know feeling bad that i wasted all this work rather than a mistake of sloth that feeling bad that i didn't work hard enough then i was saying this to a friend the other day and she was like look you know there's basically no way you're actually going to be in that position where you regret not working hard enough uh so you don't need to worry about it yeah i don't know i don't understand this america thing that you keep going on about to be honest it just seems like a yeah it just seems strange like there are lots of hard things you could just choose to do or choose to not do right um oh yeah um ferris expands on this he says which i've highlighted there are two types of mistakes mistakes of ambition and mistakes of sloth the first is the result of a decision to act to do something this type of mistake is made with incomplete information it's as it's impossible to have all the facts beforehand this is to be encouraged fortune favors the bold the second is the result of a decision of sloth to not to do something Wherein we, wherein we refuse to change a bad situation out of fear despite having all the facts. This is how learning experiences become terminal punishments, bad relationships become bad marriages, and poor job choices become lifelong prison sentences. I think maybe I'm overfitting to this thing, that going to America feels like it's action, whereas staying in the UK feels like it's in it's inaction. Yeah, I, that's, I think that's that's the trap that that I've been trying to like tell you about. That like it seems like you you just these things are on your radar just because it will give you some sense of progress because like yeah. other it, people have defined this as progress at some point and yeah right yeah so yeah I I really don't get it but I don't know where you currently stand you seem to be changing your opinion every week yeah uh, strong opinions loosely held <laughs> as they say I still don't understand what that means <laughs> what I I don't really understand what that means the strong opinions weekly held thing all the tech bros say it yeah but what does it mean it means that if you it, that you're very you're open to changing your mind <laughs> okay but then what makes you what makes the opinion strong because it's like a strong desire to go to america be like all right cool i'm gonna go all in i'm gonna start preparing three hours a day for this exam and then be like oh actually maybe this isn't the way if you come across conflicting information or you decide to change your mind which is fine it feels like the sentiment is something more like you know taking strong action towards decisions that you've made like i don't understand what strong opinion means if it's weakly held like, what's a strong opinion? Like, something that you have, like, high conviction in. Okay. 
or something that uh, an opinion that, that uh, an opinion that results in high action. Yeah, I guess the strong thing really is describing some kind of action example, rather I, than the. I I have a strong opinion that Drake is overrated, and I don't understand rap music. Okay. It's, a very, it's a very weakly held strong opinion because if I did some research about it, or if someone were to introduce it to me in a, in a decent way, I'd probably be like, okay, yeah, fair enough. I'm more than open to changing my mind on this. I have a strong opinion that having a goal is a totally pointless thing, but it's, it's weakly held in that I'm open to changing my mind on this if someone can explain to me why actually having goals is so a what's useful the, thing. For example, in the Drake example, is it yeah. strong because you think he's really bad? Like if, if you, if you it's, said... It's, it's strong because it's like, I really don't get this. Like okay. what the hell is so going if, on? If you said, <laughs> yeah. I firmly with all of my soul believe that Drake is ever so slightly overrated but that wouldn't count as a strong opinion right because it's not an extreme opinion you know it seems like you're saying like extreme opinions weekly held <laughs> as in it i f- i feel like it's more i mean yeah that's a strong opinion as well like drake's overrated <laughs> I, str- I strongly what's believe not that- a strong opinion then <laughs> what's an opinion that isn't strong an opinion that isn't strong is uh it's a it's okay if people have a nine-to-five job but i don't really care that everyone becomes an entrepreneur it's it's it's, it's, it's like like I, the, I firmly believe it's okay to have a nine-to-five yeah. job i believe I, I very strongly believe that oh that's fine that's a strong opinion well, i know no, no, you're say, you're saying I'm, strong as an extreme like no no i'm saying hang on what am i trying to say you don't get it either no one bloody gets it <laughs> <laughs> all right fine i don't get it either <laughs> right if you are a tech bro or uh the non-gendered version of that and you feel like you do understand what strong opinions weekly held means. Um, All right, here we go. I found, I found a medium post. <laughs> All right, let's hear it. What does it mean? This framework, the strong opinions weekly held process. This framework enables us to make decisions or forecasts with incomplete information. For example, you may have to forecast the revenue potential of a new business opportunity or the impact of a new product. Despite the lack of available information, you should develop a tentative hypothesis for what the decision or forecast should be. Then actively gather information that supports or refutes the hypothesis. The important part is that if you uncover information that refutes the hypothesis, then change your hypothesis. Don't cling to your original idea, decision, or forecast, even in the face of contradictory information. In fact, actively seek out contradictory information. This provides you with data to iteratively improve the forecast. I still There's no strong opinion component of this. This is just weekly held opinions. That's what they've described so far. Where does the strong opinion come in, mate? I can't believe you've drunk this. You've like uncritically just like jumped on this bandwagon. Strong opinions weekly held. The point here is to how, develop how a strong, strong opinion. How strong do you hold this, <laughs> this <particular laughs> phrase? I guess strong opinion just means opinion. Great. Okay. But, it's not, but, it, but it sounds better when weekly you say held strong opinion. opinion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I advocate for weekly held opinion, <laughs> which I do. <laughs> I strongly advocate for weekly <laughs> held opinion. <laughs> how strongly do you advocate? <laughs> right. Okay. Well, I guess we got to the bottom of that. Uh, oh, here we go. I recently had lunch in San Francisco with a good friend and former college roommate. He will soon graduate from a top business school and return to investment banking. He hates coming home from the office at midnight, but explained to me that if he works 80-hour weeks for nine years, he could become a managing director and make a cool three to ten million per year. Then he would be successful. Dude, what on earth would you do with three to ten million per year? I asked. His answer? I would take a long trip to Thailand. That just about sums up one of the biggest self-deceptions of our modern age, extended world travel as the domain for the ultra-rich. I've also heard the following. I'll just work in the firm for 15 years and then I'll be partner and I can cut back, cut back on my hours. Once I have a million or two in the bank, I'll put it in something safe like bonds, take 80,000 a year in interest and retire to sail in the Caribbean. I'll only work in consulting until I'm 35. Then I'll retire and ride a motorcycle across, across China. He says, if your dream, the pot of gold at the end of the career rainbow is to live large in Thailand, sail around the Caribbean or ride a motorcycle across China. Guess what? All of them can be done for less than $3,000. I've done all three. And he kind of talks about more examples of like... All right, I want to push yeah. back against it. I think Please. this is 
this is a thing that I think a lot of people who peddle the narratives, I feel like they're missing the point. They're like not looking deep enough into this thing. Speaking from personal experience, you know, at various points in my life, and I still feel this, I do feel somewhat of a pressure to try and, you know, uh, play the standard game and, you know, garner wealth and stuff like that. But it's, it's not because I want large sums of money to do things. It's because I want the status and stuff associated with that, right? I think the the pressure to want to do these things, at least when I felt the pressure, is just about like the social status. It's really not about like the actual things. And like, fine, maybe if you ask someone, you know, why why do you want all this money? Fine, uh, they maybe their their first answer might be, I want to like spend the money on my my boat or something. I don't think that's the real reason for almost anyone. I think the real reason for almost everyone. Um, is like it's a social status thing but it's like that elephant in the brain stuff like most of us are not actively aware of our social status gaming that we're trying to do of course they are everyone knows this do they what that's really not a standard thing what do you mean as in do you really think everyone everyone who owns a big salary everyone who buys a fancy car everyone who buys a big house of course they know why they're doing it consciously thinks the reason i'm doing this is for social status i just can't tell anyone i think it's more a case of like genuine self-deception like, you can convince yourself that the reason you want to make all this money is because you need a better safety buffer. Like, this is kind of what I do. Like, I convince myself that the reason I need to add more zeros to the bank account, as it were, is so that I can have more of a buffer and therefore I won't be, I won't have to go into employment if I don't want to and then I'll have freedom to travel the world and stuff. But I'm usually at the point where I could do this kind of, this kind of thing. I think the the self-deception is very strong and very few of us would actually admit when or, or would even be aware of all of the different things that we do to garner social status. Yeah, maybe. I guess we need to ask more people or whatever. Maybe but you, I, you, I suspect you, you're being more enlightened. Well, no. I think the, the conclusion I would draw from this is that uh, you're being <laughs> uncharitable towards your fellow man. And I think most people are. Am I? I'm not being uncharitable. I think most people are more self-aware than, than you're giving them credit for here, mate. Don't you think? Like most people I've spoken to are asking them why they want to get rich or why they want salaries. The answer they say is not... <laughs> because i want to increase my social status that's considered like a rogue thing to say a rogue thing to admit to the point where i feel yeah this is like the whole point they're making the elephant in the brain and citing social studies and and all this kind of stuff that actually we 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 all deceive ourselves about this sort of stuff yeah possibly i guess we need more data points but yeah are those all the highlights uh final couple of highlights is one if this is your first time considering a commitment to the mobile lifestyle and long-term adventuring i envy you making the jump and entering the new worlds that await is like upgrading your life uh, upgrading your role in life from passenger to pilot <laughs> mm. nice oh here we go this is a, a highlight this is a quote from man's search for meaning which i read the other day what a ma- what man actually needs is not a tensionless state but rather the striving and struggling for a worthwhile goal a freely chosen task Mm. I was thinking that a lot, like 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 the striving and struggling thing. This is this is something that Donald Miller talks about in the in the book Story Worthy as well. No, not Story Worthy. Uh, a million miles in a thousand years, which is which is the one I was talking to you about that you had issue with because essentially he's saying that a meaningful life is made in striving towards striving towards something and overcoming adver- overcoming adversity. Okay. Um, if you don't overcome any adversity, then you're kind of just like coasting, and it's just kind of a bit pointless. Um, and his model for this is that, you know, ask yourself, well, what would make a good story? And all, all good stories have striving for something that you can't get and you have to overcome challenges and things. And I think at the time you were saying, oh, man, this seems like a bad model for living life because you're like thinking, talking about like the external appearance of a story. And I was saying, no, it's, it's more about the internal thing about overcoming challenges. And this was another reason as to why I was thinking, well, maybe moving to the S would be interesting because it would be more of a challenge than I've had to overcome in the past. 
Yeah, but uh, that just sounds so stupid, dude. <laughs> like, Why? I know I agree that people like mm. to people like to overcome challenges and things. Like, I agree, it's part of what makes things rewarding and fun. Mm. But like, find you know, throwing you're playing pin the tail on the donkey, <laughs> where you have uh, a bunch of donkey. Okay, <laughs> All right. Let's let's move Where's to a going? dart analogy. <laughs> Fine. You're blindfolded. And you're throwing a dart at a dartboard of random challenges, and then you're going to decide, huh? I guess I will be doing. I guess I will be overcoming that challenge for my hero's journey. <laughs> you know, that's like the chat. An arbitrary challenge is not the reason to do something. You know, it doesn't have to be arbitrary. Sorry, it's, it doesn't have to be arbitrary. Well, when you were saying something like, "Oh, maybe I should go to the U.S. because I haven't done anything that challenging before," that sounds. It it's sounds an, it's like an, you're missing the point. It's in, it's in comparison to, for example, being in the UK, which feels like a not challenging thing at all. Like, it, like if I were to, if I were to just coast, I can get into a medical training pathway in the UK and come out the other end. Like, it's a very sort of coast, coasting type thing. Yeah, there's, look, there's not a lot main, of striving involved there. My main objection to the yeah. US stuff is nothing to do with the medical stuff. It's just okay. that it seems it seems like a weird thing to do, mm. and it seems like you're overweighting the arbitrary challenge nature of it. Yeah, you know, like probably. you find that, that, look, there are there there are, there are challenges and striving. Yeah, on any path to you know that someone might choose, you know, towards human flourishing, right? Like, things, you know, I think for most people, you like a sense of progress. There are, you know, challenges and striving at all sorts of different levels of scale, you know, from day to day, like, how do I, you know, how should I phrase this email that I'm sending to, like, you know, what should we work on, you know, this month? You know, Mm. there's, like, challenges at different scales, and that's partly what makes things fun. But you don't, like... I wouldn't like seek out some arbitrary challenge. The people who run Ironmans aren't seeking out arbitrary challenges. Sorry? People who run Ironmans aren't seeking out arbitrary challenges. People who decide to cycle across America. No. Like what's non-arbitrary about that? Well, they enjoy this thing. They they like... Yeah. Sorry? They, they enjoy doing this thing mm. and they want to get better at doing this thing. Okay. Right? I mean, I, I, would, I would suggest that most people running an Ironman aren't, aren't enjoying it while they're, do, while they're doing it. I don't care about while they're doing it. I'm talking about enjoyment in a broader sense okay. of like they, they, they enjoy this activity. Okay. Yeah. Right. And the arbitrary challenge component of it adds a bit, adds a big part to the enjoyment. It's a challenge. Yeah. But it, our friend Zane wants to you, run an Ironman. You ask him why and he'd be like, Oh, because it, it, it seems like, it seems like a cool challenge that I'd like to do. If it was easy, point, if it was easy, no one would, it, it wouldn't be fun. I agree. But yeah. the starting point is, yeah, I like doing this particular kind of thing in this particular domain of like, okay. you know, I have a friend who, a couple of friends who do these Ironmans and things. Yeah. They really like cycling and running and they, they like all of these things. Okay. And so they, they're, they're taking something they like, adding an arbitrary challenge to it, and that makes it meaningful and fun. Uh, yeah. Okay. But potentially. But the starting point is something they like and care about. The starting point isn't like, okay, what, what challenge should I pursue today? Okay. I think you're overweighting how arbitrary this is because, for example, I like medicine and I like studying. Therefore, that's the arbitrary challenge here. Then is oh well, I can I can do all of those things. I can prepare for this exam, and then I can maybe move to America, which might be fun. I'm sorry, but I just don't buy this at all. This is so stupid. So you don't. You're saying that I like doing exams. I mean, no, it's it's not that I like doing exams. I mean, like partly because exams are a game, but I like I like the process of studying to learn more stuff, which I can then show off my knowledge in an exam. Yeah, I feel like we're getting in the weeds here. I don't think this is interesting for anyone. I just think like you. I think basically. In all of your decision making around this thing, yeah, and sorry to the viewers for having to the, the listeners for having to listen to this so regularly. I think a weird thing that you do is that I feel like you're telling yourself, "Oh no, this thing is fun," 
so that when you then say, oh, I want to do this thing, you feel enlightened about like, oh yeah, I'm pursuing fun. Whereas there are obviously things that you enjoy doing far more than all of this random stuff, like studying for exams, because I like learning and then I like showing off my knowledge in exam. Come on, mate. There are obviously things you enjoy doing much more than that. I feel like this fun thing is just a layer of paint that you're pulling, putting onto this like hollow plaster wall just so that you can feel like, oh, I'm enlightened. And I'm, I'm like doing fun stuff and I live my life by like doing fun things. I think it's just a complete farce. Hmm. Is that, is that accurate? I don't think so. I'm trying to kind of draw, draw a counterexample. Basically, I think I would maybe, okay, I, I maybe say that like sports is a different sort of realm. Yeah. Outside of the realm of sports, if the primary motivation for doing a thing is that like, oh, it'll be a challenge. It's just bizarre. It's the tail wagging the dog. Yet again. <laughs> this is my new favorite phrase, by the way, the tail wagging the dog. What does that even mean? Sorry? What does that even mean? <laughs> it means like the motivation is backwards. <laughs> Hang on. Out- you're saying outside of sports, seeking challenge for its own sake is misguided or there's something weird going on. You don't, I, I, I'm saying outside of the realm of sports, it feels a bit weird to pick something because of the challenge. Okay. I agree that you will enjoy the thing you will end end up getting enjoyment from the challenge of whatever it is you're doing but to like pick something okay to pick something because of the challenge is weird i don't think it's picking it because of the challenge i think in this context it's, it's picking it because it would because it might be fun to, working in the u.s would be an adventure and would be cool and we, would be good for my career etc etc alongside that it would be a challenge far more so than doing it in the uk it would be like someone who's, who, who decides hey you know it, it would be cool to go backpacking but let me challenge myself and only do it with a single bag a single bag like you know that's a very arbitrary challenge they're doing it and they're doing the one bag thing because it's challenging or let me do it without shoes like some people do for them it makes it more more fun more meaningful whatever you probably won't say to them look guys you know your tail is wagging you (laughs) or or something like that because because you're choosing to do this thing i think that example it counts as sports to you or i think that's just different because like the Mm. the challenge is being applied far closer to the domain than in your case in your case, if I had to define the domain, it might be like, I don't know, practicing medicine and studying medical stuff. Yeah, That's yeah. like the domain, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, the challenge of like, oh, let's do that, but in, in, this, in, in, in some other country. Yeah, adds like an adventure component to the whole thing. Is that bad? Maybe you're just phrasing it wrong. Like you're not doing it because of the challenge then. Maybe you're just saying, saying things that are, that are just not accurate. I'm not saying I'm doing it because of the challenge. I'm saying I'm doing it partly because of the challenge. Everything is multifactorial. There are multiple reasons that yeah, why anyone sure. does anything. One of which is <clears throat> this would be challenging. Another one of which this would be fun. Another of which this would be this would this would be good for the brand. Another of which would be three years of training is more interesting than eight years of training. Another of which would be doing it in America means means I can meet more people. Another of which would be doing it in America means I can collab with more YouTubers. Another of which would be doing it in America is more of an adventure than doing it in the Fine. UK. I think I, I it's all multifactorial. Issue, I, I take issue with the challenge thing. Okay. So you think I maintain that the challenge thing is the tail wagging the dog. Okay. Let me let me give you an example. Yeah. Let me give you a different example. So someone traveling the world with a single backpack is a tail no. wagging a dog. No. You know, dude, you can travel on on you like why why do you have to carry a single bag? You know, it's so arbitrary. Why not why not two? <laughs> that feels like it's in the realm of sports, to be honest. Traveling the world. As the, I mean, know, for, as, as like an ex, as like an extended period of time. Sorry? And why is that the realm of sports and not the realm of how I choose to live my life? Hmm. I think the backpacking thing is different because I think the arbitrary challenge co- component of it mm. is really quite small. Like most, most of the parameters are fixed and then you sort of 
Okay. Sprinkle on some icing Fine. of the arbitrary challenge. In your case... Take, take the arbitrary example people who, of people who travel the world without a bag at all. Okay. I mean, <laughs> the challenge component there is not small. It's significant. Uh, yeah, but I imagine... Okay, I think the word hollow is, is a, it sums up kind of what I'm trying to get at. Okay. In the case of the people... I don't know any such people. I don't know where... They, I don't, oh, they're featured on like Rolf Pod's podcast and stuff. Maybe there's a handful of them yeah. who've done podcasts and yeah. they're fine. But I imagine it's like a thing. There's a whole. The like, reason they're doing it. it is not the the reason they're doing it mm. is for the reasons that like come from uh, the reasons that like lead to the challenge of like you know this idea of self sufficiency, not being tied down by material things, and you know just kind of you know just straight straight vibing basically. Okay, rather than and it's a challenge. Rather sure. than a few of them that were like, well, I've kind of traveled the world with a single bag, and I was like, well, you know, let's challenge myself and, and do and do it with no bag at all. That would be fun. Okay, if that's truly why they're doing it, that's a weird thing to do. I feel like that's the kind of thing someone might just say on a podcast. But if you if you had like a discussion with them about the thing, mm. I highly doubt the reason they they'd like made this big decision is for like some hollow sense of challenge. I I think you're really under you're really underweighting the value of challenge like arbitrary challenges. Like anyone who runs a marathon, it's so arbitrary. Like why would you want to run a marathon like twenty six miles? Why not like 20 and why run it in a special event? It's all of these arbitrary things associated purely with the fact that it's a challenge. And yeah, you'd be no, like, oh, that's oh, not true. Oh yeah, well, that's sports. So that's a different realm. Okay, that's like, not true. It's, it's not purely the, the, the challenge aspect of it. If it were purely the challenge aspect of it, they wouldn't run I'm saying this. it's not purely. I'm Sorry? saying, I'm saying it's, it, it makes up a, big, a, a, a chunk of the reason why people run marathons. And that's fine. And that's not an example of tail wagging dog. It's an example of human beings enjoy challenges and doing something and doing something that is challenging. It's kind of like the flow state. Like you, you don't get into the flow state by doing something that's easy for you. If you, if you found working in causal super, super easy and it was super smooth, smooth sailing, it would be less fun because it's less challenging. The challenge is a, is a important aspect of getting into flow of meaning in life. As Viktor Frankl says in Manchester's meaning, like striving, striving implies challenge. Striving does not imply a walk in the park. Yeah, I guess my, my conception of all this stuff is that like challenge is like inherent in like in in basically everything yeah but to a lesser degree in in some things sorry to a lesser degree than in some things for example if you were i don't know insert any job that doesn't require you to think there would be challenges associated with that but you would find it less interesting arguably big a big part of it would be that it's less challenging for you we enjoy doing things that are challenging and overcoming difficult challenges and yeah you're thinking of yeah well there's challenges how you word an email fine but that that's not usually the thing when people say, I enjoy my job because it's challenging, they're not usually thinking, oh, it's challenging thinking how to word an email to a client. They're thinking it's challenging because, oh, it's making me think in different ways. I have to come up with these new mental models. I have to do this kind of interesting sort of programming, whatever. Okay. So you're thinking of, yeah, well, it's challenging in, in everything. I'm not, I'm not sure what point you're trying to make. I'm saying there is value in, there is, there is significant value in overcoming challenges. And when you're doing stuff and you've got the choice of doing it one way or doing another way that seems more challenging and the, therefore, in a way, is more interesting because the challenge is what, part of what makes it fun. Just like traveling around the world with a single backpack, the challenge is what makes it more fun. Doing an Ironman, the challenge is what makes it fun. It's not a walk in the park. If it were, no one would, like, it's, it's just less interesting. They'd go on their park runs on every, every Saturday morning. Park run is a, is a challenge for a certain type of person, which is partly what's more what makes it fun along with the community aspect, blah, blah, blah. All right, I think here's where we're disagreeing. Mm. I think your position in life right now is that you you could be like completely blank slate and decide what you want to do with your life. That's kind of where you're at. Yeah. And I think there are so many, okay, look, I'm going to 
use numbers here. Don't worry about like the details of the numbers or whatever. But, you know, you're a blank slate. Let's say there's like 100 different parameters that you're trying to optimize for. You know, you want to like uh, do some traveling. You want to be able to make YouTube videos. No, well, these are all different parameters you're trying mm. to optimize for, right? Yeah. And you're, you're, you're trying to like figure out in this 100 dimensional space, like what is the best, what is the optimal thing for me? You know, what's like the, what's like the best fit thing? Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I think, I think challenge and like operating at a, a level of performance where you will seek out, you know, where the thing it's for example, right. If I'm like cycling to the gym or something, you know, it doesn't get easier. I just get like faster, right? Like as my legs get stronger over the course of a year of cycling, it doesn't get any easier. I'm not like, I'm not like chilling because I can do it really chill now. It just gets harder. Right. And so I think it just gets harder. I mean, you just pedal harder. Right? Oh, if you want to, if you, if you want to maintain the same level of effort, then yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But that, that's basically how it works. Right. And so I think you care about operating at a high level of performance, whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. And so when you're finding like this ideal, you know, life path in this hundred dimensional space for yourself, mm. you'll go, whatever it is, you're going to find, you're going to try and, and do it at a high level where there will definitely be challenges and that will make it rewarding. Mm. And f- fine, you might come across a case where it truly is a toss-up between two different things that are completely equal on all dimensions except the one out of 100 challenge dimension. Fine. All else being equal, maybe then you can tell me, okay, I chose this thing because it's challenging. Partly because it's challenging. Sorry? Partly because it's challenging. Sure. But you chose that thing over the other thing. Okay, in this theoretical kind of yes. etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. scenario. Yeah. But like... I think like the, the arbitrary challenge nature of it will, will literally be a hundredth on your list of these okay. things. And like, yeah, it feels like everything else really comes first because there's like inherent challenge in just doing anything to a, to a decent degree. Right. Mm. And so then like bringing in the arbitrary challenge aspect of it. Okay. At, so, su- at so, such an early stage, so, it seems stupid. So where we're disagreeing on is you think that challenge is the, no- the, you think that I'm saying the challenge is the number one reason why? No, I don't. I don't think it's number one. I think the fact that you're even mentioning on the list is is a bit weird. I think you're not taking into account the the context of it's a, dis- a decision between. It's n- it's not like it is a decision in in like if I've got a blank slate and lots of choices open to me, then yes, it would seem weird that challenge is mentioned on the list at all. Yeah, but the context that I'm operating in is assuming I want to stay in medicine. Do I want to do it in the UK, which is not challenging, or do I want to do it elsewhere? which is challenging. And that's why challenging comes into it because it's a comparison between that sort of doing training in the UK. And yes, doing training in the UK has a challenge. You have to get in. It's hard and, and, and stuff. But doing it in a different country is a different level of challenge. And therefore challenge is relevant because that's the background con- That's the background context. That's kind of the baseline. Basically, worst case scenario, I'm doing medical training in the, in the UK. Anything else beyond that in doing it in a different country would be more challenging. And therefore challenging is on my list. Is that acceptable to you? <laughs> That's maybe more acceptable as if it if you feel like it's a choice between those two things. Yeah. But again, it feels like challenges at it is actually at the bottom of the list of things, and I'm I'm really not sure why you mention it on the list because it's really more it's really about the other stuff. Um, like I I could tell I could you know what other stuff do you I, think it's about? What what other stuff? Do you yeah, think? just the adventure and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But the adventure is is like very much tied into the challenge as well. If it, if, oh, if it wasn't a challenge, it wouldn't be an adventure. Maybe we just I think we're just spinning hairs over like your weird use of the word challenge, or maybe I have a weird use uh, sense of what the word challenge means. 
Um, Usually adventure implies some level of difficulty. A walk in the park wouldn't be an adventure. A walk in the park where you were sort of climbing up trees would be an adventure. Yeah, but my whole point is that like challenge is, is implied in all of the other things. Oh, uh, yeah, like adventure. <laughs> I guess I feel like, okay, I think I can get a good analogy that will describe this now. All right, interesting. Okay. Hmm. Give me a sec. Oh, here we go. I've got it, lad. I've got it. Okay, here's the analogy. You're reading a book and <laughs> you're trying to understand why you're reading the book. And you're, you're trying to describe to me why you're reading the book, okay? Uh, and maybe like why you've chosen one book over another. Um, and I feel like challenge mm. might be related to something like the word count of the book. You might think, okay, I like reading. I enjoy reading. Like the longer, you know, the longer a book is, you know, like the more, the more words I will have read. And so, you know, I, I enjoy reading. So I enjoy reading words. And so like more word count is better. Okay. This doesn't sound legit. No, but, it's but, okay. I'm going to keep going with your analogy. But the for thing now. is the reason, the reason you enjoy reading words is because when those words are strung together in a nice order by some good author, they have a, they have meaning to them, yeah. right? Like you're missing the forest for the trees. Mm. If you're saying I'm reading this book because I like to read words. <laughs> okay. You know, and no one is saying that. You're saying that with the challenge thing. No, what I'm saying is... The the meaning of the book yeah. is the adventure and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you're saying that like, I, you're I, talking about word okay, count. Sure. I, uh, I'm, I'm not talking about word count. I'm talking about the difficulty of the book to read and how much you have to think while you're reading it. For example, I was doing a live stream with the Ruby Granger, who's another study YouTuber, who's like big on reading classics like Charles Dickens and stuff. I was like, what's the point? Like, why do you enjoy it? And she said, it's not the same enjoyment as reading like, you know, a paranormal romance book for example that's like a very easy read it's it's a, it's a different kind of enjoyment it's a sort of enjoyment where you know you, where, where you have to sit down you put yourself into a different mindset and you know that reading this is going to be a challenge it's going to be hard and that is part of the reason why you're enjoying it that's what i'm saying i'm not saying it's a case of hey let me read i don't know a book that's three times longer than everything else i'm saying you know i'm i'm reading a book that is inherently more challenging where the language is a bit more difficult i have to think harder to understand what's going on for some people that leads to a certain type of enjoyment beyond reading, I don't know, whatever best-selling trash is on the airport list that is very easy, easily readable. And I say this as a, as a, as a, a, a reader of best-selling trash. So I don't know. I feel like, mm. I don't know, uh, Ruby, I feel like if she was sat down and we were having this conversation and we dug into it, yeah. I feel like she would um, agree with what I'm saying. Because, for example, yeah. really enjoy a challenge... It, it, if you want a challenging read, uh, I don't know, you could... This, okay, I, do, I, do, I don't get what your beef with challenge is. You, you, you understand that flow state requires there to be some level of challenge. Yes. And so, and so what's the problem? Sorry? So what's the problem? My, my problem is that... And, and you accept that flow state requires a level of challenge beyond, oh crap, how, how, how should I word this email? Yeah, of course. Okay. My problem is that saying challenge as an explicit reason for doing something... Feels like it's feels like you're focusing on focusing on the external rather than how is how is, how is challenge an external? Sorry, how is challenge an external? It's completely an internal, and not external as in like how does this come across to other people? Yeah, but external as in usually if something is a challenge. It's more of a learning experience. Usually, if something is a challenge, it, like the, the word challenge is associated and like and striving and like overcoming difficulties is associated with so many positive things beyond purely the fact that you're reading more words on a page. I think you're focusing on challenge purely in that one-dimensional fashion, whereas I'm thinking of it as a multi-dimensional construct. That challenge here is a proxy for all these other good things. And oh, if, I, okay, if I've got fine. these two paths, UK versus US, US is more challenging. Therefore, 
it's more fun, more interesting, more adventurous, more personal development, more stepping outside my comfort zone, more all of these things are nicely tied up in the word challenge. Okay, fine. I can get on board with that. Okay. Yeah, I guess maybe I just found it weird that you'd say all these things that include a component of challenge. Yeah. And just and specifically and then, say challenge and then as well. say yeah. challenge as well. Yeah. Because then it's, you know, if you're like listing these things, my, my assumption, and maybe this so is like stupid, the, but my the, assumption the, is that these things are almost like disjoint or something. And you're saying, oh, like this, this, and this. So adventure and challenge. You're saying adventure and challenge in the same sentence implies the adventure doesn't have challenge included in it. Right. Okay. Yeah, and it implies that like the challenge in the adventure and challenge yeah. list is just like arbitrary arbitrary challenge factor of something, like word count basically. Oh man, what a colossal waste of time. I can't <laughs> believe that was the conclusion. Holy shit. <laughs> that was on that was probably half an hour just discussing that. Yeah, man, it's fine. Why don't you just list things in a more logical way where they don't overlap with one another? <laughs> Because I'm speaking from the heart, man. <laughs> oh, what? Okay, that basically gets me to the end of my highlights anyway. So, uh, let down. I'm sorry for anyone who <laughs> listened through all of that. It's fine. If people were listening through it, then, you know, they, they were choosing to listen to it. <laughs> yeah. It's not like anyone is being forced to listen to this podcast. Yeah. Anyway, this is usually my therapy session anyway. All right. Um, let's read out a review. We actually had a good one. A good, good as an in interesting, not as in good as in like they reviewed it well. We had a. Review this week from, ah, oh, here we go, from Carmen in Australia. It's a three-star review. Oh, hello. It's entitled Dawn of the Downhill. <laughs> uh, Carmen says, been following the brothers since day one of this podcast. Gone were the days where a single focus topic is explored to its every weird and wonderful facet. Recently, they have begun to assimilate with Tim Ferriss-like formats, <laughs> where a whole bunch of random things are jammed into one episode. Their really early episodes had been my favorite. The ideas of how you put yourself out there, why you hate to be wrong, consistency, transaction analysis were all substantiated beautifully. Nowadays, the content of their conversations is no longer personal, interesting, in-depth or overthinking. It's a bit disappointing, but still following until I've been irrevocably disappointed. <laughs> oh, damn. I feel like we were overthinking a lot about this challenge thing. <laughs> Right, yeah. Uh, Carmen, let us know what you thought of that. Yeah, Carmen, we'd be really <laughs> Back to the to glory days of the podcast and we waste half an hour like getting to that conclusion. <laughs> All right, and on that note, we will leave it there. Thank you for listening and we'll hopefully see you next week. Bye-bye. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the Apple Podcasts website if you're not using an iPhone. There's a link in the show notes. If you've got any thoughts on this episode or any ideas for new podcast topics, we'd love to get an audio message from you with your conundrum, question, or just anything that we could discuss. Yeah, if you're up for having your voice played on the podcast and your question being the springboard for our discussion, email us an audio file mp3 or voice note to hi at notoverthinking.com. If you've got thoughts but you'd rather not have your voice played publicly, that's fine as well. Tweet or DM us at nOverthinking on Twitter, please. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.